welcome everyone as we begin our next five weeks, a message series called Our Church. We're going to explore what that means and why that's so important, and especially in the five different areas of our mission statement, why we exist. Um, So here we go, part one with worship. On our... On our March break camp uh, this, this year, um, I was on, we were on the bus on the way back one of the days, and I got into a conversation with one of our newer members, and in that conversation, he asked me, what are you guys doing for Good Friday? Are you guys having that Good Friday service again? And I just looked at him, and I smiled, and I said, yes, we are are having a Good Friday service. And I said, now, don't ask anymore what you are doing for Good Friday. Ask what we are doing for Good Friday. Because this isn't just my church, it's your church. And it's not just your church, it's our church. I have... um, I've come across that a lot over the years. I've heard just people talk that way, and it's not always intended. It's not always, you know, on purpose, but I've heard a lot of that kind of talk where um, someone will say, uh, when is, um, so when is your service? Instead of saying, when is our service? Or uh, what are you planning instead of what are we planning? Or um, uh, what is, what are, um, what is that, are, are, are you going to do that one thing again this year instead of are we going to do that one thing again this year? Or um, have you got the gym, have you got your gym reserved instead of have we got our gym reserved? What is your plan instead of what is our plan? And the, the list goes on, just that thinking of, of that, that's your church. What are you going to do instead of what are we going to do? Have you ever just thought that way? Where where you almost saw yourself outside of the church. I think there's times that we always we all maybe slip into that thinking. Even if we don't say it or, or think that way or speak that way, uh, we even act that way. So I always try to correct this. I always try to correct this when I hear it, and I always try to do it with a smile and some love by saying, uh, this is not your church, this is our church. And so, friends, it's time... Um, It's time to let your church become our church. I hope you just appreciated that graphic. I worked hard on that. But it's time for your church and that the idea of your church to become our church. It's time to get rid of the why and think about this as our church. Ownership. This is what we do. This is what God is doing through us. So let's get rid of the why and let's think of your church as our church. And that's what we're going to be talking about in our series. Um, So that's going to be the underlying thought in all of this that that we all see this as what is our, what is all of our part in this, not just what are you going to do for me, but what is all of our part in this. And so we're going to talk through the five areas of our um, mission statement of what we're here about, and it all starts with worship. It always starts with worship. That is the first part of our mission statement. That is the first reason that we are here. Worship is why the church exists. Worship is the most important thing in each of our lives as individual Christians. Worship is the most important thing in our life as a church. 
um, as a people of God because that is the first commandment. That is why we exist on this earth, to give glory to the God who deserves it, to praise the holy name of the God who is holy, set apart from us and from the world and whom we owe all life to. So it all starts with worship, serving God above all, gathering to declare his praises, gathering to praise his holy name, gathering to worship and praise our holy God. But see, it, it's all too easy for us to see um, worship as something you guys are doing, right? Well, I might, I might join you guys for worship if I can free up my schedule. I might join you guys in worship if, if, if I'm available, if, if I can get up early enough in the morning, if I feel like it. All right, but it isn't something that I have to do because even if I don't do it, you guys are going to do it anyway because that's something you do. And, you know, I, I benefit from it when I'm there. You know, I might enjoy it, but if I'm not there or not, it doesn't really matter. So whether or not I am there with you in worship doesn't really matter in the end because worship is something that your church does. Do you, do you see the danger? Do you see what's going to happen if we are looking at it as your church instead of our church? how easy it is that we can quickly um, come to the conclusion that worship isn't a necessary part of each one of our lives and, and our, our own life. But that's how it, it, it becomes so easy to be thinking about it as something and you guys do, something your church does, and so whether I'm there or not doesn't matter because it's going to carry on. And so I'm not necessarily an integral part of what you do when you worship. And how that could change if we see something, worship is something that our church does. And I must be there. And I have to be there. I can't get by without it. But we struggle with this. And I think one of the reasons we struggle with this is this. Our hearts drift towards self-reliance instead of relying on God's goodness and grace. That, that's just the natural bent of our sinful hearts it's, it's the thing that we struggle with all the time that we tend to drift toward relying on ourselves instead of relying on the power of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. We do that, don't we? Otherwise, we would never even think about missing an opportunity to worship. If, if we never struggled with relying on ourselves instead of God, we would never miss any opportunity ever to worship. But because we have this bent, because we tend to drift toward relying on ourselves, we can make life be all about uh, what we achieve, what we do. I'm going to work harder and do more. Um, if my life is going to turn out a certain way, I've got to just do all these things to make it just so. If I want something done right, then I'm going to do it myself. If, 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 I'm gonna, if my life is going to turn out like the way I hope it turns out, then I have to strive to do this. I have to strive to do that. I have to rely on myself because I'm the only one I can rely on. And if we start relying on ourselves more than we rely on God's goodness, then how can worship possibly be a priority for us? Because that's the opposite of making worship a priority. I'm not relying on God anymore. I'm relying on myself. And then you see how easy it is to see this as your church instead of our church. You guys need to worship. It's nice for me, but in the end, I'm going to rely on myself. I don't truly need to rely on God. And this is one of the reasons that we struggle with always 
having worship be the number one priority in our life as God has created it to be. Well, our church worships. That's what God's people do. And that is the first reason that Cross of Life exists. Our church, our church, worships. That's what God's people do. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 100 today. That is our text, and it just describes, it explains, it tells us what worship is. It tells us this is how God's people react. This is why we're here on this earth. So let's walk through our psalm. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. So God gives us good reason to shout for joy. Thanksgiving isn't limited just to God's people. All creation praise him all creation can't help it because we all have life and joy because of this amazing wonderful set apart holy god that we have verse two worship the lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs we don't worship because we have to we worship because the joy that god gives us our christian faith isn't isn't based on stuff we have to do it's based on stuff we want to do It isn't about things we have to do. It's about things we want to do. And we come before, the the word there, it it actually says we come before his face with joyful songs. Where it says that we come before him, we come before his face. We come to the the very face and presence of God with joyful songs. Why? Verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are the people, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We weren't born by accident. You, we, don't, we don't live by our own power. We live with God. He is the one who gives us life. He is the one who preserves our life. And notice it's we. It's not I or you or they. It's us. It's we. It's our church. It's communal we live because of God. And so we, together, express our relationship with him in joyful, public, corporate worship. And true worship is based on knowing who God is and what God has done for us. God, as it tells us, sends the good shepherd to make us us part of his flock again to bring us into his flock and make us his people his sheep his flock and then verse four says enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name we get to come into his dwelling place and give him our thanks and our praise for what he has done And what has he done? Verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So why do we worship the Lord? Because the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. And the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures. His faithfulness continues always. So our church worships. Do you want to know why? Number one, joy instead of guilt. Joy instead of guilt. Our good shepherd, our good shepherd gave his life for us. That's what, read John 10, that explains what a good shepherd does. Our good shepherd gave his life for us.
so that we could be the sheep of his pasture, his people. So we, because of what Jesus has done for us, we are now part of God's flock. And we can have the confidence that no one can snatch us out of his hand. No one can rip us away from God. No one can take us away from him. God has shown us mercy. God has shown us faithful love, especially when we didn't even deserve it. And because of his sacrifice, because of the sacrifice that our good shepherd made, because of what he has done for us, our sins are forgiven and forgotten, and we have been made right with God. We have been declared holy in God's sight, and we can be in his presence, and we are his people. We stand holy in front of him. And then we celebrate Easter, which means he rose again from the dead, and that means that we have nothing to be afraid of ever again. So our response joy joy it isn't uh, we have to worship it's we get to worship we get to come into his presence and worship him this is something that we get to do a privilege that god has given us we're 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 not here because someone is guilting us we're here because god is telling us that our guilt has been taken away all our sin our failures have brought guilt into our lives. But Jesus died on that cross to pay for our sin, which takes our guilt away. Jesus has taken our guilt away, and that gives us a joy that is always greater than any guilt we could possibly have. More joy than guilt. Our church worships out of joy instead of guilt. We don't come here because we're guilty. We don't come here because we're going to make God happy with us. We don't come here because someone is making us feel guilty if we don't. We come here because God has given us joy. Because we have a gracious God who loves us even when we didn't deserve it. We worship out of joy instead of guilt. Number two, rest instead of self-reliance. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to set aside one day of rest, or a Sabbath, one day a week, to rest and worship him. So he says in Exodus 31, Above all, above all, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know I am the Lord who makes you holy. So what does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about our God? That above all, he wants us to take a day off. That he wants us to take a day off from work and do nothing so that we get some rest. To stop all the busyness and all of the activity and just remember that he is the Lord who makes us holy. And he's, he's, he's serious about this because in the very next verse in Exodus, he says, you're going to take a day off or I'm going to kill you. Now, isn't that, that just crazy for us? That's so hard for us to even comprehend because how many of you have a boss who would tell you, if I catch you working extra on Sunday, you're gone? None of you have a boss like that. We don't live in a culture like that. We get rewarded for extra work, hard work, busyness, overtime. 
We get encouraged to work ourselves to death. We tend to lean towards self-reliance in, and, and then forgetting God's goodness and grace. And so God says to us, because you have this tendency to rely on yourselves and forget about my goodness and grace, you are going to take a day off. You're going to take a day off from all your work so that you can remember me. You're going to take a day off and stop everything. You're going to stop all the activity and craziness and busyness and remember that I am the Lord. You're going to stop everything and remember that I am the one who delivers you. I am the one who fights for you. I am the one who protects you. I am the one who provides for you. I am who I am. So you get to rest. Now, they had, they had one day a week to look forward to that rest. We have it every day in Jesus. Our rest isn't limited to one day. Our rest is an ever-present reality. The Old Testament Sabbath rest foreshadowed, it looked forward to, the rest from forgiveness that Jesus was coming to bring us. So they had one day to look forward to rest. We don't have to wait for a day. The rest that we have in Jesus is always available to us. And that is so much better. It's so, what we have is so much better. Don't look back in the Old Testament. Be jealous of what they had because what we have is so much better. And here's why. Imagine, imagine you only had one day for rest. Okay, just imagine life. You have just only one day for rest. So I'm guessing you would be looking forward to that day. Why? Because you're going to finally get some rest on that day. So just plug that into your life. Now, so you have one day, that's when you can rest, and you look forward to that day because you're going to get some rest on the day. Now, do you think the rest of the world cares whether or not that is your day of rest? Do you think, do you think that all of the activities and busyness and, and uh, things scheduled in sports games and all the other kinds of things that get piled on us and, and, and all, of the, um, all of the unexpected problems are going to just stop and wait so you can have your day of rest? Are you kidding me? The world is brutal. No one cares about whether or not you have a day of rest. Problems come like waves upon waves. We live in a world that could care less if you have your day of rest, don't we? That is why this is such good news that Jesus is our Sabbath rest right in the middle of all of the chaos and craziness of life. That we don't have to just wait for a day to find rest. We have rest in Jesus always available to us. Jesus is our forgiveness. Jesus is our rest. He's our Sabbath rest. And we could enter his restful presence anytime and any place we get into his word. And we can encourage each other in that rest that we have in Jesus as we gather together here to worship. That's why we're here. Rest instead of self-reliance. Our church worships so that we can enjoy rest instead of self-reliance. Number three, praise instead of apathy. Uh, Tom and I did not plan this out, so that's kind of neat. He didn't see the sermon, and I didn't see his kid's message, so here we go. Um, oh, I think we, there we go. 
I'm losing it here. We should be on that one, okay? Um, in our text, the, it's Old Testament, so it's a Hebrew. The Hebrew word there, halal, not halal, halal, it means to praise in verse 4. It means to praise. It means to, um, to give praise, to give glory, to shout out praise, to shout songs of praise, basically to go crazy with praise. You haven't heard of the word halal, but you've heard of the word halal lu haven't you? And that is praise you, the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, the Lord. So that basically means you need to praise the Lord. You need to be going crazy with praise, getting a little loud and obnoxious with praise like we're getting the kids to do. Let's, how can we picture this? So I'm going to use the sports analogy as well. And at a college football game, you could have, this, you could have over 100,000 fans in the stands at a college football game. And at the bottom somewhere, you have cheerleaders. And what are the cheerleaders doing? They are leading the fans in the stands to shout, to chant, to sing, to cheer. Why? To urge and plead their team to get something going on the field or to celebrate what their team has done. So in verse 4 in our text, says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So the psalmist is a cheerleader, getting us to celebrate what God has done. Uh, my, boys have, my boys have been playing football since they were nine. And so if I, I think all the way back to that nine-year-old um, football, see, Jonah was first, and as a, nine, as a nine-year-old, he got on a pretty good team. And we were able to do a lot of things, and he was able to do a lot of things on that good team that, that often blocked pretty well for him. And, and there was one play where we would always try to get him to run around the outside and then down the field for a touchdown. And if he would get around that one guy, if he didn't, he'd get, he'd get smashed over on the sideline for a loss of yards. But if he got around that guy, he could usually run down the field for a touchdown. And as that was all going on, what would I be doing on the sidelines? Screaming my crazy head off, Right? Come on, go! Right? And then, woohoo, as he runs down the field. Um, Elijah, when he be, uh, started playing as a nine year old, didn't wind up on the best team. We'll just say they were struggling a little bit. We'll say they didn't win a game that year. They went 0 and 10. So, in the last game of the season, um, you're kind of just on the sideline, kind of, come on, you know, we need this. Just encourage him on in any kind of way. And, and, um, the other team's already winning by a couple touchdowns, and I, I don't even think at this point we had scored a touchdown in that season. And uh, they're on like our 10-yard line, um, ready to score again, and I, I, uh, someone hit someone, I don't know if Elijah tackled or someone tackled, the ball came out, and Elijah scooped that fumble up and ran 90 yards the other way for a touchdown. No one's catching him. What am I doing on the sideline? Screaming my fool head off right? Woo! Go! You know, and screaming at the top of my lungs. Youth sports. All in good fun, right? Nothing wrong with that. So don't, you don't have to hold back and not cheer for your, your, your children's teams as you go and watch them. But a thought hit me. Why am I not screaming my fool head off in worship? Come on, Lord, we need this! We're stuck here. We could use some help. Or, um, Lord, you're awesome. Woohoo! 
you are great. Like, what stops me from being able to do that? Apparently nothing now. <laughs> what stops me from being able to do that? Why can, why, do, why can I be cheering kids along in a game, right? Cheering kids along at the top of my lungs in a game. Why can I be shouting out, um, great job, kid, but when I hear... When I hear how my sins have been forgiven and forgotten and that I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and, and that God has shown me undeserved love, I'm like, oh, that is so interesting. What stops us from praising God? What stops us from having the same sort of praise, joyful response that, that we get on the sports field? Is, is it because we, we, we want to be a little cool? We don't want to be perceived as religious nuts? Maybe, um, maybe we don't want to be, maybe we're not sure if we want to be viewed as fully belonging to Christ. Yet, for some reason, we can, we can shout at the top of our lungs for for kids that we don't even know. Yeah, number number 18. Throw it to number 24. Good job, 24. Right? We can cheer for kids we don't even know playing a game that doesn't even matter. But we can sit in worship and we don't even want anyone to hear us sing. Or we can just mumble through the whole thing. Or even get up and walk in and out during it like it doesn't even matter. Or maybe not even bother showing up at all. We were washed by the water of baptism. Our sins were washed away in baptism because in baptism the Holy Spirit brought us into the family of God and worked faith in our hearts that Jesus is our Savior. That's what we saw with Lucan this morning. We saw a child enter the kingdom of God. Let's celebrate that. Right? Our church worships in praise instead of apathy. Final one. Our instead of your. Our instead of your. One of the verses in our first reading 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The, him who called you out of darkness. That's where we get the word church from. Church means those who have been called out of unbelief into belief. And then it says, what does it say about the church? You are a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. You and I are. We are a royal priesthood. Our church is made up of royal priests, all of us. So don't look at Tom. Don't look at Kevin. Don't look at me and say, you are the priests. It's your church. Because you are the priests. You all have priestly duties. Don't go passing those priestly duties on to somebody else. Because God has made you the priests. 
and I, all of us, we are the priests, and therefore we need to function as priests function. So what did a priest in the Old Testament do? They are the ones that approached God's holy presence to offer him worship. Priests were the ones that approached God's holy presence to intercede for the people and to pray to God. But in order to do that, in order to approach God's holy presence, they first had to get covered with this, this thick robe made of ram's wool and, and dyed and um, embroidered and with, with a plate hanging from them and all this stuff draped from the Basically, they had to be covered with about a 200-pound robe in 90-degree heat. Just in case we are starting to get, you know, jealous of the Old Testament followers of God again. To approach God's holy presence, we, as royal priests, get to approach God's holy presence anytime in any place. Why? Because we have been covered with the perfect robe of Jesus' righteousness. It's weightless. When Jesus died and rose for us, God has given us, covered us with his perfection, his righteousness, and therefore we can approach God any time and any place to offer him our worship, to offer him our thanks, to offer him our praise. Because Jesus, because Jesus shed his blood for us on that cross, our sins are seen no more. And because of that, we all, as it says in verse 4, we all get to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Why can we enter his gates with thanksgiving? Because Jesus opened them up for us. And that is why our church worships. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.